you. Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. Again, you are a great and awesome God. What a privilege it is to gather together in your name to worship you. I pray for everyone who's here tonight, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May you speak into each of our hearts. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We pray for the children's ministry from the toddlers to the teenagers. Uh, Lord, we continue to pray for that next generation. Lord, if you tarry, they will be the ones who remain and make a stand for you. Lord, I thank you for the youth worship team. What a blessing to see young people who love you, who can lead us into worship. We thank you. We praise you for that. Lord, we pray also for those that are watching on live stream, those who will listen on YouTube or Vimeo or on the radio later, you would bless them as well. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. We pray and all God's people said, by the way, there are outlines. If you didn't get one, they're on the back table. It will help you as we go through the study. So 2 Kings, just quickly, we know that at the end of 1 Kings, uh, with the death of Solomon, we saw the kingdom uh, torn into two. Judah was the two southern tribes, and the 10 northern tribes were referred to as Israel. And what we have seen about these kings, even though they're God's people, every king in Israel so far has been wicked. Every single one of them. A few of the ones in Judah, Asa, and a few others were godly. As the kings arose in positions of authority, see, this all goes back to, here's a problem. They had a king. His name was God. Amen. And then they cried out for a king, and it all started with the mess with King Saul. And when we cry out for a king or we put our faith in any other king other than King Jesus, we've got a problem. Amen. And I want to encourage you, let's vote. Let's do all those things. But our faith is not in the White House. It's not in the governor's mansion. It's in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because he's in control. They can't vote him out of office. And he's a great and awesome God. Can I get an amen to that? Now vote biblically, do those things, but don't panic because God knows what he's doing and he's in control. So as we finished up last week in 2 Kings chapter 8, uh, and again, I'll give you a little context. King Joram is the king over Israel. And if you remember, he's a descendant of Ahab and Jezebel. And remember, Jezebel is so wicked. We talk about it. Her name got broke. Can I get an amen? When you're that wicked and no one's ever been named Jezebel ever since that I know of, or if they did, they probably didn't go by it. Amen. So this was such an evil woman. And King Ahab, as we know, was an evil man. We know that Jezebel had put all the prophets of God to death. She's the one that introduced him to the worship of Baal and, you know, her, her interactions with Elijah and now Elisha in these later chapters. Well, it's one of their sons who's now the king. And God had promised righteous judgment upon this family. And we're going to see it in tonight's text. And most recently, Joram had been in, injured in battle against the Syrians and was taken away, injured uh, to the city of Jezreel. So we know that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And we're going to see something really change tonight because God has been so patient. And we're going to, indeed, this is such a terror, you know, from the transaction, the way you think of it. It's a terrible chapter in which truth of divine government is written no longer in gentle words of patient mercy, but in flames of fire. We're going to see that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And eventually he does bring righteous judgment. And too often we think, well, they're getting away with it. Well, here's the reality. We were all getting away with it until we got saved. Amen. And now we're redeemed and now we're forgiven and now we're born again. And now we're going to heaven and praise God for that. But we should desire, every believer this side of heaven should be burned for every unbeliever this side of hell. That should be the passion of our life is to see 
people saved. So I titled the message, if you ever outline, grab it, responding to the supernatural call of God. We're going to be introduced to a new person tonight in the Bible. Maybe somebody you've never really heard of or studied. His name is Jehu. We're going to see him this week and next week. And he's going to become the new king over Israel. And we're going to see when he becomes king, he's going to come in in a whole different way. He's going to be the first king that's anointed since David. All the other kings that came on the scene were not anointed by God. We don't see the hand of God and the presence of God upon them like we did King David. And this king is going to be anointed by God. So quickly, here are the points we'll look at responding to the supernatural call of God. First, by giving ministry away. I love to give ministry away. And so does Elisha. Elisha loves to give ministry away. Elisha loves to let other people do ministry. And the reason for that is Elisha knew, and the word of God instructs us, that for other people to grow spiritually, they need to be serving themselves. They need to also, one of the things I say to people often, you want to go from being a ministry to a minister. Amen? And it's okay to be ministered to, but we want to give ministry away. And I'm a big believer in that. We'll see that in tonight's text. We want to see as many of you as possible using the gifts God has given you. So responding to the supernatural call of God, give ministry away. Number two, respond to God's calling that he has placed upon your life. See, it's one thing to be called, and it's another thing to respond. I have a friend. Every year I call to check up and see if it's changed, and it hasn't. It's really sad. 25 years ago, uh, when I was pastoring a church, it's not been quite 25, it's 21 or 22 years ago. I planted this church in Santa Cruz and we had a men's Bible study. And this guy was one of the most gifted Bible teachers I've ever heard in my life. And I said, bro, God's got a calling on your life. You are so gifted. You are gifted to use that. And every year he had a reason why. Well, my kids are all in preschool when they're all in kindergarten. Well, when my kids get to, well, when my job gets, and when this happens and you fast forward 22 years and he still hasn't taught another Bible study, I don't think. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more tragic than being called and gifted by God and taking your talent and burying it in the sand. We saw that in the parable of the talents, right? We give back to God what he has given you. Guys, when we're called by God, it's, it's got to be more than knowing that you're called, but we need to respond by faith. Don't stay on the sidelines and miss out on God's highest. Number three, learning to trust God when what he has called you to do seems overwhelming, most of the time when you're called to do something, you're going to feel inadequate. And that's right where you need to be. Amen. When you think you've got it all nailed, it's about time they noticed. <laughs> I've been waiting for the pastors to come tap on me because they've been missing out on all the glory and blessings that I could have brought. You know, That's the last person you want doing anything. Amen. <laughs> Pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Years ago, I had a guy take me out to dinner after church one time and told me that I was the reason. I was getting in the way of him using his gifts and that he, God had shown him he was supposed to pastor the church and I was supposed to step down. And I just told him, bro, I'll tell you what, why don't you plant a church right down the street? feel free. You have my permission. Go do it. Be across the street. It's all good, bro. Go, go ahead. Here's the problem, guys. If we don't start off with the heart of a servant, well, if you cannot serve, you should never lead. Amen. Amen? And pastor means servant. And, we need to, and again, so be encouraged that learn to trust God that when he's called you to do something that seems overwhelming, that's when you need to step out because I don't want you to miss the blessing. It's always going to seem more than you think you can do. See, without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? 
and be praying about how God might use you. Number four, be prepared that as you step out in faith, you will face opposition. When you start serving the Lord, there will be people who tell you you shouldn't. There will be opposition from the world. There might be opposition from family and friends. There might be opposition from, from all types of things. But at the same time, just know that when you face that opposition, it just means God's using you. You know that Satan's resources are limited. You know he's not omnipresent, right? He, he can't be everywhere at once. You know, the, the, the demons themselves are fallen angels, and they're, they're powerful to, to a certain extent, but they can't do anything unless God allows it. Amen? And so we don't have to, you know, walk around and cowering in fear from the enemy, but we do need to be prepared for the fact that when you step out in faith, that the enemy will go after those often who are being used most mildly by God. Number five, be willing to step out even if you have to go alone. It's always better to be doing ministry alongside other people. The Bible says a three-court strand is not easily broken, but there may come a time where you have to take a stand when nobody else does. King, uh, you know, uh, the prophet Daniel, amen? Where there might be a time where you have to be the only person in your office. You might have to be the only person in your neighborhood. You might have to be the only person at the Thanksgiving dinner table who wants to make a stand for the things of God, be prepared to step out. Be willing to step out, even if you have to go it alone. Hold nothing back. Again, as we serve the Lord, are you all in for Jesus? Is he a part of who you are? Is he a part of your day? Or is it all about him? I told you this, I run into people, it still happens. I stopped going to your church because you act like Jesus is all that matters. Amen. Can I get amen to that? Because you know what? If Jesus is what matters most in my life, I'm going to be a better husband, a better father, a better worker, a better man. Amen. Better neighbor. Make Jesus the priority of the passion of your life. Hold nothing back. You know, by the way, serving him is a get to, not a have to. If you, if you feel like a have to for anything you're doing here, stop. We'll go without. Oh, it's my turn to teach the kids again. No, no, we don't want that. <laughs> We don't, we, don't want, we don't want you in there. Don't do that. If it's not a get-to, if it's a have-to, we'll get someone else who will see it as a get-to. Amen? Choose today, choose today whom you will serve. Who you walk with now is who you will dwell with in eternity. We'll see that in tonight's text. And God's grace is not God's permission to live a life of compromise. You know, we, we don't want to be lukewarm Christians. Be hot or cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And then finally, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And we'll see that tonight in his righteous judgment. So let's begin there in verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 9. And we're going to be introduced to a new king. And it starts off by giving ministry away. And it says in verse 1 there, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. So here's something that God has clearly placed upon the heart of Elisha. And I don't believe Elisha is not going because he doesn't want to. I believe Elisha is not going because he wants to give ministry away and he wants to see others be, uh, enjoy the blessing that he receives as he serves. Here, you know, the the sons of the prophets was basically like a modern, you know, an ancient day seminary. These are ones training to become, you know, prophets, foretellers of the word, teachers. And so as they were in training, they would give ministry away. At least Elisha would give ministry away so that they could get out of their comfort zone and grow. You will probably, you've probably noticed you've been going here any length of time. When I'm not here, I almost never have a guest speaker who isn't one of the pastors in this church. Why do I do that? 
because I want them to use their gifts so they might grow. Does that make sense? Amen. And success of ministry is not how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. And the pastor, if the pastor gets hit by a bus, the church should not skip a beat. Church should just keep happening. By the way, he's in heaven. Praise God. Let's just keep having church. Amen. But you'll see churches where the pastor steps down. They spend four and a half years with nine different committees trying to find a new pastor because the pastor didn't do his job giving ministry away to people that were already there. Amen. You already know. Who's pastor if I get hit by a bus tomorrow? Who's the pastor of this church? Joshua Camper. And if you didn't know, now you do. Okay. <laughs> but that's the way it should be. Give ministry away. Uh, as your pastor, you know what I'm called to do? I'm called to preach the word, love you guys, and disciple the pastors. That's what I'm called to do. That's, my, that's the main thing that I do here. I want to make sure I'm studied up, prayed up. I'm here available to all of you. You've all got my cell phone number. If you don't have it, my card's in the back table. And you can literally call me any time of, of day or night, and I will pick up my phone unless I'm already talking to somebody else or I'm, I'm, or I'm at work. And so my job is to be available and to, to minister to you, to preach the word, to love you guys unconditionally, but also to help raise up others and give ministry away so that maybe one day, you know, if, if I don't die in time, maybe Joshua will go plant a church somewhere else, right? Or Doug will go plant a church, right? Or others that are here. We've got, a, we've got some young men here that I already know that God's got a calling on their life, and we're going to see them being used more and more. And the same is true for the women as well. God's got a calling on your life. We want to see you use it. This is not a church of personality. This is a church of Jesus Christ. Amen? For him alone be the glory. I want to see everybody using their gifts. There, there's Elisha's heart. He loved to delegate. He loved to give ministry away. He loved to see others blessed and using their gifts to experience the joy and blessing of serving the Lord. Why do we announce that we, we have a servant tab on our website? It's not because we're trying to dra you know, drag people into ministry, because we know that the people that grow the most are often the people that serve the most. Because when you're serving, you grow. God, I tell people all the time, God made me a pastor because he knew I needed to be in the Bible 50 hours a week. Here, here's a way to make sure you're in the Bible 50 hours a week. You're going to teach twice a week or more. And praise God for that. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And success of a ministry, again, is not determined by how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. And Elisha had learned this from Elijah. You know, he would follow Elijah and he would learn from watching Elijah. Now he's doing the same, passing it on to the next generation that will come behind him. He's throwing this young man the deep, of the deep end of the pool. He's taking him and throwing him in. Here, go do, go do this. We're going to see what he's going to ask him to do in a minute. It's pretty heavy. And he's going to tell him, go do this. And I guarantee you, he doesn't feel equipped to do it. He doesn't feel like he has the authority to do it. He doesn't feel like he's trained to do it, but he tells him to go do it anyway. I've shared this story with you before. The first time I ever taught the Bible to adults, I literally had three minutes notice. I was sitting in the front row with my suit and tie on. I come straight from work up in Lancaster. We put our daughter in the nursery. I had just been the youth pastor for about a month, which means I had taught four Bible studies in my life, and praise God, none of them are on tape, but I taught, you know, four, five girls around a table, and it was a disaster, I'm sure of it, okay? And here I am sitting in the front row, and the lady comes out, the assistant, the secretary says, hey, Pastor John wants to talk to you. So I go into his office thinking he needed something, and he's not there. I go, he's not here. She goes, he's on the phone. I pick up the phone. I say, he goes, hey, hey, Dave, I'm stuck at the airport. You're teaching. I said, I'm teaching when? He said, I'm thinking you got about three minutes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I should do it to one of you guys so you can just understand. 
<laughs> so I'm literally sitting back there. I've taught four Bible studies in my life. There's a huge room full of adults. And I'm like, I have no idea. I taught James chapter one, can it all join my brother when you fall into various trials? Because I was in one. Kind of getting him into that. <laughs> so Jehoram, while injured, is reigning king of Israel. He's a descendant of Ahab. He's got the dynasty of Omri. That's Ahab's father. And Elisha is taking this young man and he's sending him down to, to, to do a task that it will seem far beyond his capabilities. Now watch what happens, verse two and three. He says, so go get some yourself a flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramath Gilead. Now when you arrive at that place, look for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room. Then take a flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee and do not delay. Who wants to sign up for that program? Can you imagine? They already have a king, right? They have a king. He's an ungodly king, but they have a king, Jehoram. Jehoram has just been out in battle. Jehoram is fighting illness, injuries that took place in the battle. And this young man, who is one of the sons of the prophets, who's studying to become a prophet, gets called in by Elisha. And Elisha says, get a flask of oil. Here's what I need you to do. Go down to Ramath, and when you get down there, look for Jehu. You'll find him in this person's house. And when he's there, get him to stand up, take him into another room by himself, pour the oil on him, and let him know he's the new king of Israel. Go. Now, I would think that Elisha would actually enjoy doing that, but I believe that this young man, he's anonymous. We don't even know his name. No doubt might have been overwhelmed by what was no doubt an incredible opportunity. Now, Israel did not want God's interaction in its life. Israel had started, there was more places where false idols were worshiped. Uh, God was not in the program. And so God is going to be reintroduced to the children of Israel in a powerful way. And God, is, God had already, if you know this from earlier in 1 Kings, Jehu had already been anointed to be the next king but some time went by, and now he's going to be anointed again to let him know it's time. And we saw the same thing with King David, didn't we? He was anointed king with his brothers. He went right back out and was tending the sheep. We saw him slay Goliath. Still wasn't the king yet. It was many years after that. They had to avoid King Saul. King Saul was trying to kill him and everything that he went through. So even though he knew he was anointed by God, he still had to wait for God's timing. And so maybe some of you feel the call of God upon your life. I want to encourage you to step out anywhere that you can, but at the same time, recognize that you may have to wait a while to be in the ultimate calling God has for you. So you be faithful where you are. You trust in the sovereignty of God. Uh, when I was, I knew that I was uh, called by God to plant a church about 12 years before I did it. I was a youth pastor for 12 more years. And, and God's perfect time is when it came when we planted a church in Santa Cruz. So guys, we just want to be obedient right where we are. And if God has something different for us, something more for us, he'll bring it in his perfect timing. And so here's this, this pouring olive oil on someone is called anointing. It was done for priests and for kings. And this act being done by one of the prophets brought the sense that God was appointing this man to be king. See, these other kings were, come, were from, from judged families. We know that Ahab and the, the Omri is the father of Ahab. 
and that the father-in-law of Jezebel, and we know that God had already judged them. God already said he's going to wipe them from the face of the earth. Yet they continue to rule. And as they continue to rule, God's raising up somebody else. But we only know how God's timing, God only knows how his timing is going to work. Though Israel had abandoned God, God had not abandoned Israel. Praise God for that. Can I get an amen? I feel like our country has largely abandoned God. But for the sake of the remnant, praise God that God has not abandoned us. Amen? Amen? He so, so clearly could, but praise God for his love and his grace and his mercy. God is in control, not those who oppose him be reminded of that. So Jehu, by the way, is mentioned in ancient writings. And we know that according to Hebrew chronology, uh, it was about 841 BC that he became king. So it helps us date this chapter that we're in tonight. So what's happened? So he's called to do something that no doubt is uncomfortable. And how is he going to respond? Verse four. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. Okay, he was told to go, and it's one thing to be told to go, and it's another thing to get up and go. It was one thing to have the pastor tell me I had three minutes before I was going to teach a room full of people the Bible, and I've never taught a Bible study in my life to adults, and believe me, there was a part of me looking for a back door, okay? But it was another thing to say, well, okay. God knows I only had three minutes to study, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm just going to get up there and do the best I can. You know, it's amazing. There was a new couple there that night, and this couple ended up getting saved that night. And you fast forward 12 years, and that guy was the worship leader of the church I planted in Santa Cruz. So God knows what he's doing. Can I get an Amen. And sometimes we think it's a mistake or a mess or, you know, and you get thrust in. Doug found out when every one of the pastors got COVID except him. And all of a sudden, he's teaching everything. We're all at home. We're watching Doug on TV, right? But here's what happens, though. We have to get thrown. Sometimes we need to get thrown into that deep end. Sometimes we need to get stretched so we might grow. And praise God that this young man, don't even know his name, when he was asked to do it, he didn't back out. He didn't back away. And again, I, I, I will say this too. I know a lot of people that I know are called and gifted by God and are still sitting on the sidelines and decades are going by and you are missing out and all that God wants to do in you and through you. We need to step out and get out of our comfort zones to step out in faith. We meet far too many who are clearly called and gifted who've chosen again to remain on the sideline. Here's their excuses. I'm too busy. Uh, I'm too afraid. Well, the sad part is you're missing out on God's highest and it breaks my heart. Verse five, it says there, or verse, yeah, verse five. And when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting. And he said, I have a message for you, commander. And Jehu said, for which one of us? He said, for you, commander. Now, again, this is taking some bravery. He's walking into all the military leaders He's a young man who's in the school of the prophets. He's going to walk up to these guys who have positions of authority within the government, and he's going to summon one of them out of there. And so it takes some, it takes some bravery. It takes recognition of your calling. Just remember this, you plus God is a majority. And if God calls you to do it, God will sustain you. Amen? If men call you, men will sustain you. This is why I'll never call any one of you. Because if I call you, i got to call you and remind you. i got enough going on. I got to remind, hey, you're going to be there. You make sure you're going to take care of that. If you're called, you'll show up. Amen. Amen. I never worry about worship. I never worry about the children's ministry. I never worry about the youth group. I never worry. Why? Because people that are overseeing them are called 
by God. But he says, for you, commander. I'm looking for you. Verse 6. Then he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of, 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 of the Lord over Israel. Now, if you, if, again, now he had already been anointed before, and now years have gone by, and he's been faithfully serving whatever king was in place, and now he's being anointed again. And at the same time, no doubt, there's probably a question, well, Elisha's not here anointing me. I don't even know who you are. And he may begin to question and doubt as to whether or not this was truly something that the Lord was doing. Again, he was anointed, but he would not take the throne immediately. And God anointed kings before they took the throne. They knew their calling. They had to wait upon God's timing. Jehu was the only king of the northern kingdom that was actually anointed by God. All the other ones were coming and going, and they were basically set up by men, not again anointed by God. Often God's calling today comes long before, again, it is fully put to use. So maybe you're sitting here and you're one of those people that's a little frustrated. There's certain things that you feel called to do that you have a passion for. First of all, that, if that's the case, we want to give you every opportunity to use your gifting. Most of you, if I've talked to you very many times, I will encourage you. Bro, God's got a calling on your life, and I want to see you use it. You know, if they do, the women, same thing. God's got a calling on your life. I want to see you use it. I want to encourage you to use it. I want to make a way for you to use the gifting God's given you. We don't want just a few people serving in a stadium full of people watching. Amen? Waiting for the right place at the right time. God's still doing the work. You know, why, why does it happen? So maybe it's God's waiting for the right time in the right place, but often it's God still doing a work in us, preparing us for what he's called us to do. And we'll never be fully prepared in our own strength. We'll always have to be desperate for God. But often as we're waiting on the Lord, the Lord conti is continuing to do a work in us. One of the things most of you guys know, my dad was a pastor for 60 years. He went to heaven in 2017. And one of the things he told me is he said, son, if I could do it over again, I'd have been somebody's assistant for at least 10 years, maybe 15. Now, my dad went to East Texas Baptist College. They made him the pastor on the campus when he was 21 years old. When he graduated at 22, they gave him a church in Marshall, Texas. And he said, I walked into this room full of people with absolutely no clue how to be a pastor. But a lot of times it's mama called, papa sent, right? You've got a seminary degree, so we just throw you in there like you just got a degree in engineering, and you can just walk up there and show up and make it work. But you know, so often what we need to do is we need to learn just to be a servant. And I thank God for the 15 years I spent as an assistant pastor, and I'm still learning today as we all are. So again, Jay had been anointed before, God's doing a work in him, it wasn't the right time. And now this young prophet not only responded to his calling, but did exactly what he was commanded to do. See, he said he would go, and then he went, and he did exactly what God told him to do. He didn't change it. He didn't leave things out that might be difficult. He did exactly what the Lord called him to do. Do you know that there's no greater place to be than in the center of God's will? Amen. I was just sharing on the walk up here. One of my sons said to me recently, he said, dad, if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? I said, what I'm doing right now. I know that, I, again, I know that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do in the place I'm supposed to be doing it. And I count this as the greatest privilege in the world. I would not step away as being pastor of this church to be president of the United States because this is what I'm called to do. And I love being here and I count a privilege to serve you guys. And see, when, when, when you have that, what a joy that is. Amen. 
When you know that you're doing, you're in the center of God's will, and if you don't know that you are, get on your knees and ask him to show you. Amen? I want to see all of you walking in the center of God's will, doing what God's called you to do. As we're about to see, he was not afraid to deliver not only the message of blessings, but also the messages of righteous judgment. See, it's easy. Hey, go tell that guy, you know, go, go do the wedding. You know, pastors, it's a blessing. I love being a pastor. I've been for 33 years and I love being a pastor. But hey, it's not, it's not all that as easy as it looks sometimes. I mean, first of all, I mean, the study time's amazing. I love it. And you get to be there at joyous moments. You get to dedicate babies. You get to do pre-marriage counseling. You get to be there for weddings. But you also get the phone call when somebody's son is overdosed or uh, when a marriage is falling apart and, or some, you know, somebody in your church has gotten injured and then you're there to do funerals. You're there to hold people's hands. So you're there to hold their, you know, rejoice with them in some of their best times and hold their hands in some of their worst times. But isn't that what the Holy Spirit does with us? He's always with us. He'll never leave us. And well, notice what he says here. Now he's going to give them the rest of it. Okay, you're going to be the king. Great. Keep reading. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, that I may avenge the blood of my servant, my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. Now, we did not hear this instruction being given to him by Elisha. But there's no doubt in my mind this instruction. Either Elisha gave it to him, or as he stood there being available, God showed him even more that he needed to share with him. And so often, God's not looking for ability, but availability. And often we have to put our foot in the Jordan River before we see the water part. And often God has more that he wants to do with us than we can even imagine. We'll miss all of it if we don't take that first step. So he was told to go anoint him king, but once he got there, he had to tell him, oh, by the way, you also are going to need to wipe out all the descendants of Ahab. You're going to have to destroy them from the face of the earth. See, Ahab and Jezebel had killed almost all of the prophets. You remember when Elisha at one point said, I'm the only one left. Yeah. It's just me. And God goes, I got 700 more people just like you. I don't need you that much. Get over yourself. Can I get an amen? Pastor Dave paraphrase, amen. <laughs> you know, because we can, we can fall into that trap, feeling like we're the only ones serving the Lord, which is ridiculous, amen. But here's what's happening is this, you know, Ahab is, seems to have been getting away with it. Now Jezebel's still alive. Ahab's son is serving as the king. And it just seems like they've been getting away with their, their evil behavior and the worship of false gods and God's not brought judgment. And while God suffers long, he doesn't suffer always. And now he's going to bring someone in to bring the righteous judgment. And again, that's not the thing that most people serving want to do. I've had to bring church discipline against people. Do you think we like that? Oh, I can't wait to have to, you know, have an awkward conversation and tell someone they can't come to our church anymore because they're, you know, whatever. And no, but we have, but as, as a pastor, as a, I have to do that sometimes. I hope I never have to do it again, but I'm sure it'll happen again. And the same is true for you. You know, if you're going to do ministry, if you're going to step out and be used by God, some of what you do will be uncomfortable sometimes. Well, I signed up for children's ministry, but we had twice as many kids as I thought we were going to have. And if God calls you, God will sustain you. Can I get an amen to that? It's twice the blessing that you get to minister to those precious children. 
So this portion was not recorded in Elisha's message. He may have told him uh, exactly that, or God may have spoke to him once he got there. And he begins to give instruction. Here's this young man, this anonymous man. His name's not even in the Bible. And God's using him to deliver his word. Can there be any greater blessing in the world than to take the word of God and give it to somebody else? Can there be? So if you're teaching a, a Bible study in your house, if you're sharing the, uh, the, with a neighbor, you know, you guys, we have the words of eternal life. There's nothing more important in the world than what's in this book. Amen? Knowing Jesus and making him known, it should be the greatest joy of our life that we get to share it with people. Aren't you glad someone shared it with you? The most, the saddest thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves and keep it to ourselves. Amen. Here's this young man and steps out in faith. And then he says again, verse eight, for the whole house of Ahab shall perish. I shall cut them from all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. Here's what he's telling him. You need to go, and the judgment that had been prophesied years before, you're going to be the one to do it. And as you step out in faith to do it, here's what you're going to see happen. And what he's telling him is some pretty heavy-duty stuff. And guys, when we're called by God like this, we need to respond to God's calling that he's placed upon our lives. And again, know that you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. We're going to find out about Jehu as we see him this week and next week. This guy's pretty zealous. He's, got, you know, he's kind of got a little Apostle Paul in him. He's not shy about anything. He gets called to do something. He's about it. And praise God for people like that. But you know what? God uses people that don't have that personality at all. God may choose to use you, and you might, feel, you might be a little more on the timid side. You may not be that outgoing, but you know what? When God is speaking through you, we're just, again, tools in the hands of the master. Amen? He's, if God may want to hug somebody, he may want to use your, need to use your arms. He may want to speak to somebody. He wants to use your lips. Here's this you know, student in the school of prophecy, one of the sons of the prophets. And he's been sent out to deliver this heavy-duty message that no doubt many in Israel had been waiting for for a very long time. There were two earlier dynasties where their entire families were wiped out, making it possible, impossible for an heir to claim the throne. The same thing is going to happen here. Notice he says, the dog shall eat Jezebel. I have an idea no one's going to be really all that bummed that that happens. This is a woman who had nobody that cared about her. She was vicious. We know that she would just kill people with the drop of a hat. She's a horrible, horrible individual. And yet she's outlived everybody in her family. She's still alive. How's Jezebel still alive? You know, her son, some of her sons are already gone. She's got great-grandchildren. If you study through text, her young, one of her, son, one of her uh, grandsons has kids already, and she's still there. And sometimes we think, why would God let that person live? Just kill him, Lord, in Jesus' name, right? But you know what? Our God's a God of love and grace and mercy, isn't he? Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. People get saved in the last moments of life. Praise! I'm thankful for that, aren't you? People complain about it. Well, it doesn't seem fair. Well, what doesn't seem fair? You mean he lived a poor, wretched life and had to deal with all the consequences of sin, and then by the grace of God got to go to heaven? Somehow that's better than what you had? 
And, you know, people think, well, I would have liked to, uh, you would have liked to live this, a life of sin and disaster. <laughs> I'm praise God. You know what? I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class when I was four years old and praise God for that. So thankful that I grew up in a relationship with the Lord. It says back in 1 Kings, speaking of, of uh, their family, it says this, behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity. I will cut off from Ahab, excuse me, every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation for which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. So here's the answer. God doesn't just wipe people out for no reason. God's a God of love and grace and mercy. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But he's also a holy God, a righteous God, and a just God. And why is judgment coming upon Ahab and his family? Go back to what it says there. It says, because you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. God hates it when people stumble his children. Amen. How do you feel when someone takes advantage of your children? How would you feel if someone got your kids to go off and do something outside of God's will or outside of what you desire them to do? Well, that's exactly how God feels as well. Now watch what happens in verse 11. Point number three there, learning to trust God when what he has called you to do seems overwhelming. Verse 11, then Jehu came out of the servants, to the servants of his master and said to him, they said, it's all well. So he comes walking out. Now picture this. He goes in with this young guy that they don't know who he is. He's in there for a while. And then the young guy runs out the back door and just keeps running. And then he comes out dripping with oil off the top of his head. And all these guys who are commanders go, what's up, bro? <laughs> what's going on? Basically, that's what it says here. Is all well? That's, that's, you know, that's old English for what's up, right? And then it says, he says this, why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, ah, oh, you know the man and his babble. They've never met this guy in their life. They consider he's a madman because who in the world comes in, does something, runs out the back door and won't stop because that's what he'd been commanded to do. What are you doing dripping with oil? What in the world's happening? Verse 12. And they said, a lie. You're not telling us the whole truth, bro. By the way, a half truth is a whole lie. Amen. You're keeping something from us. And no doubt for, for Jehu, uh, you're about to tell, tell somebody that you've been anointed king by Almighty God when you already have a king. You know what that's called? There's a word for it. Treason. And these guys were all the generals of King Jehoram. And if he tells them that he's going to be the new king, some of these commanders may pull out swords and cut him up. Now, again, here's the good news. If God calls you, God will protect you. And if God chooses not to protect you, you get heaven. Amen. Amen. Can't threaten me with heaven. If God calls you to do it, I go to India. I was going to India every year for seven years, teaching up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach the Bible. And these guys would go out into villages that were unreached, people groups, and they would dig two graves when they got to the city. And they'll let everybody know, hey, if you decide to kill us, graves are already dug, but we're not leaving. Why? They had an understanding that God had called them to do it, that God would sustain them. And if they died, it's all better. To live as Christ and to die is what? It's gain. It's better. Amen? And that's why I don't understand, you know, the, the whole fear in believers. We need to be careful. God's not giving us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. So here he is, but he's, you know, he could be a little concerned 
Well, you know, I'm gonna, I was anointed king five minutes ago. I could be a dead king in five minutes. What am I going to say? Well, if God calls you to do it, don't be ashamed of it. Amen? Amen? You don't have to hide what God's called you to do. You don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to keep it to yourself. So watch what he says. Why did this madman come to you? And he said, oh, you know the man. Oh, lie. Tell us now. She said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I've anointed you king over Israel. He's acting like it's no big deal. Well, thus and thus he came and he said, yeah, and I guess he's going to make me king, but other than that. Now, how do these guys respond? How do these guys respond? Now, we need to speak the truth, do it in love, but do it with boldness regardless of how people respond. Amen? Don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. But do not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? And do not be, you know, keep it to yourself what God has called you to do. Speak it with boldness, do it in love, and if, if there's consequences, that's okay, because you're doing it for the Lord. The Bible says, blessed are you when they're vile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. I've been cussed out as a pastor many times. I've been threatened as a pastor many times. I've had people stop being, wanting to associate with me many times. And you know what? If it's because of my personality, God, forgive me. If it's because of the word of God, the word of God, the cross of Christ is a stone of offense. Amen. People don't want to hear it. They don't like it. But you know what? We need to love them enough to tell them the truth. And that's exactly what he's done here. So he's wondering, you know, I wonder what's going to happen. Now watch this. I love this. Look at verse 13. Then each man hastened to take his garment, put it under him on top of the steps, and they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. Praise God. Amen. So now here's some confirmation. Have you ever noticed when God, will, often when God will call you to do something, God will give you confirmation. God will show you that that calling is real and that gifting is real. And I hate to use myself in the center of this story, but it's just, it's just the easiest one I have. When I taught on that, that Wednesday night, and I was in my early 20s, I still had braces on my teeth, and I taught that Bible study, I had people telling me afterwards, oh, he's going to have you teach all the time. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm good. I can teach the five girls around the table. I'm good. I don't need to be, no, I'm all right. You know, it's okay. It's what I'm doing. And sure enough, three weeks later, I'm sitting in the aisle, and it's a pretty large church, and he's walking by. As he's walking by to go up after announcements, hey, I'm going to be gone next Sunday. You're teaching both services. And he kept walking. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't know what he said that Sunday, because I have no idea. I was sitting in the center aisle, shaking in my boots. You've got to be kidding me. I took four days off work to study, so I would be prepared. Now, God blessed the time when I had three minutes, but that was, that was not my fault. I better not take three minutes next time, amen, because then I'm in trouble. It's on me. But what was interesting was I kept being given more and more opportunities to serve and having more and more people encourage me. And so here's what happens with Jehu. Hey, you're the king. And he's, you, know, you can tell he's having a hard time even telling him. He makes it like it's not that big a deal. And then what do they do? They announced, that they, they lay down their clothing in front of him. They treat him like a person of royalty. They recognize the position that God has given him and they blow trumpets and say, Jehu is king. Now they already got a king. That could be a problem. They're not worried about it. God made him king. He's the king. I'm not worried about anything else. Praise God for people who come alongside you. Amen. It seems overwhelming, but he was learning to trust in the Lord. Number four, be prepared to step out in faith, 
and know that you will face opposition. Look at verse 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had been defending Ramath Gilead, he and all of Israel, against Hazael, king of Syria. We saw this last week, if you were here. They had entered into battle with the king of Syria. Syria is just north of, of Israel. It's just to the north of them in those days and still today. And so they've been entering into battles. They had had times where they, made, they traded with each other. They even helped each other in a couple of wars. But now most of the time they fight with each other. And so they just had this battle. Joram's been injured. He's, you know, he's licking his wounds. He's in a place where he's you know, healing. His guys are still out fighting the battle. And in the midst of all of that, just telling, it's catching us up. But King Joram had returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which the Syrians had inflicted on him when he fought with Hazael, Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, if you are so minded, let no one leave or escape from the city to go to Jezreel. So here we have the calling that's been placed on Jehu's life. And he's been told by this young prophet, sons of the, one of the sons of the prophets, that you're not only going to be king, but you need to wipe out all of Ahab's family, all of his descendants, take them off the face of the earth. Boy, that's a heavy calling. And if I go fight the king, the whole country may fight against me. But this is what God's told me to do. And again, we need to know that when we step out in faith, we are going to face opposition. He responds to his calling by taking action to do just what he had been commanded by the Lord through the prophet. See, real belief will produce a change in behavior. Faith produces an action. True belief goes beyond contemplation to obedience. See, it's one thing to say, I believe. And you see this, we've talked about this on Sundays. When you go through any of the Pauline epistles, right? An epistle is a letter. Every one of the letters, what we believe, how we behave. What we believe, how we behave. What we believe, every single one of them. It's the same pattern every time. Teaching us what we believe, and then in light of what we know to be true, this is how we behave. And the same should be true for every Christian. Guys, many of you have been studying what we believe for a really long time. Now, now it's time to start behaving. Can I get an amen? Now it's time to go beyond just, well, I know this to be true, but how is it being reflected in my life every day? How is it being reflected in my neighborhood? How is it being reflected? Am I using the gifts God's given me? Am I missing out on God's highest? Or am I being used for his kingdom and for his glory? Be prepared as you step out in faith, you will face opposition. There will be people who tell you, oh, you're not called. You're not supposed to be doing that. What's wrong with you? You're leaving, you're quitting this, or you're doing this different. You're not giving as much time. You're going to get rid of golf and start serving God more. What's wrong with you? I've got an eternal perspective. Amen. Point number uh, five, be willing to step out even if you have to go alone. Look at verse 17. Verse 16, excuse me. Skip that. It says in verse 16, so Jehu rode in a chariot, went to Jezreel, for Joram was laid up there, and Ahaziah, the king of Judah, had come down to see Joram. So Ahaziah is the king of Judah, and Joram is the king of Israel, and he's got them both in one place together. Now, remember, they've been fighting battles against each other most of the time. But you know what both of these men have in common? They're related to Ahab. So is that a good thing right about now or not? They're both related to Ahab. They're both there together. And he's been called to go. And notice he doesn't say, I'll do it in six months from Friday. 
God called him to do it. He got on a chariot and he went there in haste to do what God has called him to do. Guys, if you know that God has called you to do something, step out in faith. Amen. Now, if he tells you to wait, wait. But if he hasn't told you to wait, don't. Step out in faith. So as believers, we must be willing to step out alone if necessary. Again, you plus God is the majority. Look what it says, verse 17. Now watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came. And he said, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him out to meet him. Let him say, is it peace? Now remember, they're at war. So he's wondering who these people are that are coming. They could be those who are coming to attack. He'd already been injured in a battle. Maybe they're coming to finish him off. So as the king, he said, send someone out and find out if they're coming in peace or if they're coming here to attack us so we can make ourselves ready. So send somebody out to find out. Upon seeing the company of Jehu approach, King Joram wanted to know if this mysterious group again came in peace as he waited to recover to full strength in Jezreel. Is it, at, is it peace? You know, at the same time, you know, fellowship with other believers is such a blessing, but what if God calls you to make a stand on your own? And what if you face opposition in the face of it? I don't think we really grasp how difficult some ministries can be because we've never had to face them. But praise God for people who will step out in faith and go where nobody else wants to go. You know, you know why we planted a church in Calabasas? Because nobody else wanted to have a church in Calabasas. When I went, I said, they, they said, why don't you pray about, because I'd pastor the church in Santa Cruz, the Tofu Tide, I knew I was lesbian capital of the United States. I love going places where nobody wants to pastor. And I said I would stay the rest of my life. God had another plan. When it was time to plan another church, I went, I was talking to the Calvary pastors, and they're like, why don't you pray about Moore Park or Calabasas? Moore Park had 22 churches. Calabasas had one with less than 20 people. We're going there. See, it's, I, I like to go to a place where no one else wants to be. And then when we got there, we found out we were the fourth Calvary chapel to come, and none of them had lasted more than a year. And that just makes me even more determined, we're staying. You know what I mean? And we did. We stayed until God moved us to Thousand Oaks, right? We got kicked out of our building, and, and God has a prerogative to do that if he wants. Amen? Amen? To when we are walking in open rebellion against Almighty God, we should be insecure. And that's exactly what's happening here. See, they knew that judgment had been pronounced against their family. He's sitting there already being injured. And he knows there's some insecurity there, concerned about whether or not he's going to survive or if someone else might come against him. Verse 18. So he tells his guys, go find out who it is. Find out if they're coming in peace. Verse 18. So the horseman went to meet him and said, thus says the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what do you have to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. So the watchman reported saying, the messenger went to them, but is not coming back. See, the guy's standing up on the tower, and he sees the guy going out a great distance. And they don't recognize it's Jehu yet. They don't know who it is. And he goes all out this great distance. And when he gets there, instead of getting the message and coming back, he just lines up with them and starts following them. And the guy's like, hey, he went out there, but he's not coming back. I think we lost one, right? So he gets sent out, and when he gets sent out, to find out what's going on instead, basically says, what do you mean about peace? Follow me, bro. Get in line. Come follow us. And he begins to follow him. I love this picture. He went out, not coming back. Look at verse 20. 
Verse 19. Then he sent out a second horseman. He came to them and said, Thus says the king, is it peace? Jehu said, What have you to do with peace? Turn around and follow me. If this goes on long enough, he's not going to have anybody left to protect him. He keeps sending these guys out, and instead of coming back and bringing the message to Jehu, they're lining up behind the true king. See, guys, isn't that what should be happening in the world today? People come out to find out about who Jesus is. And if they get introduced to him and they come to know him, instead of attacking him or questioning him, they start to follow him. Can I get an amen to that? And that should be our heart. When we get to, you know, we should want to introduce people to the Lord that they may follow him. Now watch this. Here's the zeal I was telling you about. So the watchman reported saying he went up to them and it's not coming back. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he drives furiously. Where's Johnny? He should be here for that. <laughs> he's racing right now. That makes sense. He's got a, he's got a car that's got a thousand horsepower, man. That's, it's, they got, there's one horse on here. But the point I'm making is, he, Jehu is such a man, he's known for how fast he drives his chariots. That when he drives, they, they recognize, dude, that guy's driving like a crazy man. That must be Jehu. He drives furiously. He's a man of great zeal. Now, I will say Johnny and I have a lot in common because my first four cars were way faster than I needed to have. And I got in accidents and did a lot of crazy things being a young man. And so I've, I have a little less horsepower these days. It's better for me. But here's the point, though, that he's recognized and known for being a man who drives furiously. He's a man who doesn't sit back and wait, but he's a man who, who goes and attacks what he's called to do. And here he is, he's driving furiously. And just by the way he drives the chariot, the guy looking in the, from the tent, from the, you know, up in the tower says, oh, that's got to be Jehu. That dude's driving like a madman. He's on his way. Boy, he couldn't be accused of being lukewarm. God told him to do something, and he's going mock to with his hair on fire to get there as fast as he can. Amen? You know what? Too often, the Lord shouldn't have to keep pleading with us. If God calls us to do it, let's do it. Amen? And let's step out in faith, and let's not be afraid of it. Lord, help. You know, those used mildly by God, they all suffered greatly, but they also were not timid about what God had called them to do. You could not accuse Jehu of being lukewarm. You could not accuse him of being a man who buried his talent in the sand. He was a man that was being faithful to what God had called him to do. Be willing to step out, even if you have to go it alone. Again, it's ideal to stand with others for support, but remember that you plus God is a majority. See, once he knew what he was supposed to do, he didn't waver one step anymore. And I think that a lot of us, we're still in that place where we don't know what we're supposed to do. And because we don't know what we're supposed to do, we don't do anything. We're kind of just standing in the same place. I would, I would say this too. I would rather have you dig a well, it's from the Bible, dig a well and see what comes up. And maybe it's not really the thing you thought you were supposed to do or you don't feel as called to do it. I'd rather have you do that a few times to find the thing God's called you to do than have you sit back and wait for 10 years to figure out what it is. Can I get an amen to that? It's okay if you step out in faith. We had someone not long ago that stepped out, started serving in a ministry, and then came to me later and goes, you know, I just signed up for everything. You know what? It's just really not a fit for me. That's okay. 
I'd rather have people stepping out in faith a little bit than sitting back and waiting till a lightning rod hits them and tells them what they're supposed to do. It's okay. God doesn't steer parked cars. Can I get an amen? You know, step out in faith and watch. When you're available, watch how God may use you. And he may use you in a way that you never expected. You be available and watch how God works. Number six, hold nothing back. Then Joram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. Then Joram, king of Israel, and Isaiah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot. And they went out to meet Jehu, and they met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Now, I love the divine, I love God's sovereignty. How about you? Don't you love God's sovereignty? Do you remember what happened to Naboth? Ahab stole the property, killed Naboth, and God told him that your blood will be shed on this land. Now, it's not going to be Ahab's blood but it is going to be his blood because it's going to be his son's blood. Amen. And what, flow, you know, what flows through your son is your blood. Amen. And so here he is in, in that very spot. He had stolen the property, took it for himself and killed Naboth. And God had said way before, I'm going to bring righteous judgment upon you and your blood's going to be spilled on this very land. See the Bible rocks. Amen. God knows exactly what he's doing. We have free will, but God is in control says back in 1 Kings 21, you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him saying, thus says the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. He lets him know that your sin has consequences and you may think that you're getting away with it for a time. You know, when Ahab died, he was taken to Samaria, not Jezreel, and the blood in his chariot was looked at by dogs, but in Samaria, not Jezreel. And you could make the case for Joram having Abraham's blood in him, and that he's actually the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy as his son is actually going to die in that place. Now, notice they come out to him, and they're not going to come out like swinging swords, because remember who Jehu is. Who is he? He's the commander of Joram's army. He's the secretary of defense. And he could have thought in his mind, well, maybe he's coming here to give me news about what's happening in the war. Maybe he's going to tell me that we've been victorious over Syria. Now, no doubt, at least part of him is concerned as he sees him coming with great haste. And he also knows that God's judgment is upon his family. Everybody in the family knew it. And no doubt there's at least a part of him that wonders what's happening, but he goes out there, at least initially, not showing a lot of fear. Now notice what he says in verse 22. Now what happened when Joram saw Jay, he said, is it peace? Are we at peace? See, the wicked compromising Joram wanted peace with Jehu. None of the dynasty of Omri wanted peace with God, nor did Ahab, but Jezebel and Jezebel, uh, Ahab and Jezebel did not want peace with Naboth. They didn't want peace with God. They didn't want peace with Naboth. They didn't want peace with anybody. Now, you know why he wants peace now? Because Jehab's a, Jehu's a mighty commander. He knows that Jehu, Jehu could wipe him out. And a lot of people that are walking in the flesh, they only want, you know, they only align with you when they feel like they can get something from you. And here we are, Jehu's in a position and he's been called by God to bring righteous judgment. And Joram is a little concerned. And he basically says, is it peace? Now, he may also be referring to the war. Is the war over with Syria? Are we at peace? I don't think that's really what it is. Now, watch what happens. 
Is it peace, Jehu? And he said, what peace as long as the harlotries of your mother Jezebel and her wickedness, witchcraft are so many? Hey, now, is it peace? How can it be peace when that wicked harlot that you call mom, (laughs) amen, as long as she's working her witchcraft, how in the world do you think there's going to be peace? Hello. That's, you know, when someone attacks your mom, Dukes are up. Can I get him into that? These are fighting words. You're attacking his mom. But I think that even he knew it because she was the definition of wicked. So his demeanor towards Jehu shows he didn't suspect the treachery, but Jehu's response was, again, wasn't a word from the battle, but all of a sudden he let him know, hey, bro, this is not the conversation you think we're going to have. How could I be at peace as long as your wicked mom's alive? as long as she's continuing to, to perform her wickedness. And again, when someone insults your mother like that, you know it's going to be trouble. So Jehu was busy about God's work. Look what he says after that. And Jehu turned around and fled. I think so. And said to Ahiza, treachery, Ahaziah. So here's what happens. Is everything okay? Are we at peace? Your mom's a harlot. She's performing witchcraft. As long as she's doing all this nonsense, there can never be peace. And Joram's like, I got to get out of here. So he starts taking off and he yells back to Ahaziah, treachery. Now watch this. What did God call him to do? What is he supposed to do with, with Joram? What's he supposed to do? What does God command him to do? Take him out. Now, I want to say this. In the old covenant, we see a lot of this. In the new covenant, let God take him out. Amen. Well, you know, I was, I was in the second King study last Thursday and that neighbor of mine, I just took him out in Jesus name. Don't do that. Can I get an amen? <laughs> don't do that. We don't need to be doing that. Leave them in God's hands. Amen. So he was busy about God's work and he would not faint back when confronted for doing God's will and watch what happens. So Joram turned around and fled and said, Isaiah treachery. Now Jehu drew his bow with full strength and shot Jehoram between the arms and the arrow came out at his heart and he sank down in his chariot. You know what that means? He shot him in the back. He's running away full speed. He just stops, takes the arrow, pulls it all the way back, lets it go. You think God had any control over that arrow? Can I get amen to that? And that arrow comes through and hits him in the perfect spot, goes right between his arms and through his heart and he starts bleeding out right there. Again, God will point the arrows where they need to go. We just need to be obey, obedient. The Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. See, it would have been really easy for, this is, the, this is the moment of truth. His friends have anointed him king. They've blown trumpets. But now he's standing in front of the real king. And it would have been so easy for him to just kind of faint away a little bit, kind of back off. But he doesn't do that. He knows what God's called him to do. He's not going to back up. He's going to be faithful. He's going to be zealous and do as the Lord commanded him. So he pulled the bow back. And again, we saw the righteous judgment that came from God upon the ungodly man who had survived for so, so long. Let's finish up. Now, notice what it says here. And Jehu said to Bidkar, his captain, pick him up and throw him into the tract of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite. For remember when you or I were riding together, 
behind Ahab, his father, and that the Lord laid this burden upon him? Surely I saw yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, says the Lord, and I will repay you in this plot, says the Lord. Now, therefore, take him and throw him on the plot of ground according to what does it say? I love this. Here's what he does. He knows what the word of God says about where he is to die and where he is to be buried. And because he knows what the word of God says, he obeys what the word of God says and takes his body and puts his body where God said his body would be. See, even though the word of God is true, we already know what God's going to do. Sometimes God gives us instruction from the word of God, and we simply need to obey what he's already told us to do. Amen? And that's exactly what he does here. And praise God for his, his faithfulness. He, he was reminded of what, by the way, I checked on time. It was 12 years earlier. He heard this word that came from God 12 years earlier and 12 years later, he hasn't forgotten it. Guys, we need to know the word like that. Amen? We need to know what it says, what we believe and why we believe it. Hold nothing back. Point number seven, last two points. Choose today whom you will serve. But when Haziah, king of Judah, saw this, he fled on the road to Beth Hagen. So Jehu pursued him and said, shoot him. Also in the chariots. And they shot him at the ascent of Gur, which is in Ibelim. And he fled. then he fled to Megiddo and died there. Now, why did they kill Ahaziah? Because he was related to Ahab. He said, kill everybody in Ahab's family. He is just in, in a matter of minutes, he has killed the king of Israel and the king of Judah. These are the kings over all of God's people, but they were also idol-worshiping kings. And they were drawing the people away from the true and living God. And see, God has suffered long and given them opportunity to repent. But while God suffers long, he doesn't suffer always. And eventually the righteous judgment is coming. Amen? So if you're doing things outside of God's will and you've been getting away with it, God's grace is not God's permission to continue. It's an opportunity to repent. Amen? And Sally didn't repent. So they got arrows in the back. Both of them. Would have been better to repent. Amen? So he was a blood relative of Ahab. And again, God suffers long, but he won't suffer Always. And it says, the servants carried him in the chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his tomb with his fathers in the city of David. And in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, Haziah, became king over Judah. They're reminding them of what had happened previously when he had become king, and now he's been put to death. Final point, God suffers long, he won't suffer always. Now watch this. It says, now, now when Jehu had come to Jezreel, Jezreel heard of it. And she, uh, Jezebel, excuse me, heard of it. And she put paint on her eyes and adorned her head and looked through the window. So remember, she's, she's, she's probably trying to make herself look good, you know, but she is a great grandma. And when I envision her, I envision her putting a whole lot of makeup to try to look younger than she is. And she's putting on a crown. I think she's in some way trying to intimidate Jehu to remind him of her status, remind him of who she is. Remind him that she is again and once was the queen. By the way, makeup is fine, but inward beauty is better. Amen? And you also have people that get really legalistic about things like makeup and earrings and stuff like that because they, they take the Bible out of context. And I love what Pastor Chuck said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Can I get an amen? Oh. <laughs> Pastor Chuck, I, I'm just saying. 
So I think we need a little balance, but the emphasis on real beauty needs to be looked on. You know, the Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. Can I get amen to that? My grandmother used to say, well, my grandmother used to say when we'd get in trouble, she'd say, don't be ugly. You ever heard that term? If you grew up in the South, don't be ugly. So ugliness was related to behavior, not your outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. It says in 1 Timothy, I want a woman, this is a New Living Translation, I don't use it a lot, but I like this. It says, I want a woman to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing, not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair, by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. So again, I don't, you know, you have people think that you're in sin if you wear makeup. I don't believe that at all. But in this case, she's wearing makeup to try to somehow get past this, you know, the judgment that's coming to try to make herself look like something she isn't, to try to, again, make Jehu uh, think twice about what he's about to do. Then as Jehu entered the gate, she said, is it peace? Just tell them all, it's no peace. And no peace, you don't have peace without the Prince of Peace, amen? Zimri murdered, murderer of your master. Now, why did she use Zimri? Zimri had killed a king previously. And when Zimri killed the king, her father-in-law killed Zimri. So she's basically calling him like, what well, modern day would be like a Judas. You're a Judas. You're a Zimri. You came in and you're going to kill the kings. And guess what? You're going to die right away because someone's going to kill you. So she's trying to intimidate him. She's reminding him of what happened with someone else who killed the king. The difference is God told him to kill the king. And if God tells us to do it, we don't need to be intimidated by anyone. Ahab and Jezebel's son had died again on the road. And now Jezebel is one of the final ones who's left. And watch what he says. He looked up in the window. Who's on my side? Who's on my side? I love this. So two of the eunuchs looked out at him. Now they didn't do anything, but they must have done something that made him realize, you know, they looked out and went... <laughs> Jezebel, we've been hanging out with her for a long time. We can't stand her. Who's on my side? They look out the window. They were right. <laughs> we're right. We're happy to help. What do you need? <laughs> Don't be shooting arrows up here. We're not with her. We're with you. We're on your side. So watch what he says. Look what happens. This is pretty amazing. Then he said, throw her down. It's in the Bible. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before what? Okay, she's about to have one. Look what happened. Throw her down. Now watch. So they threw her down and some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horses and he trampled her underfoot. So she falls down. She lands in front. She bangs against the wall on the way down. Her blood splattered everywhere and he rides over the top of her with his chariot. I thought that only happened in Ben-Hur. But here it is. She got rode over by the top with a chariot. And again, people will say, well, that doesn't seem very nice. Jezebel killed, eight, killed hundreds of God's prophets. She brought, false, she brought the false gods to, to Israel. She brought Baal worship to Israel. She was a murderous, vile, wicked person. And God gave her all this time an opportunity to repent. She kept shaking her fists at God. God suffers long. He won't suffer always. And again, the way of the transgressor is hard. Amen. Let's read the last few verses and we'll close. And when he had gone in, he ate and drank. And he said, ah, go now and see the accursed woman 
and bury her, for she was a king's daughter. In those days, they believed the greatest insult was not to die, but to not be buried. I tell my wife all the time, you can put me in a hefty bag and leave me on the curb. I'll be in heaven. I don't care. Put me in a U-Haul box. It's moving day. Heaven's better. Amen? But in those days, it was considered like a real, you know, almost a curse, or it was something that was looked down upon. And so here, Jehu, you know, she's dead. He wrote, and he, he goes and eats a meal and goes, go find her. She is a king's daughter. Go bury her. Look what it says. So I went to bury her, but they found no more of her than her skull and her feet and the palms of her hands. It's interesting. I looked it up and they say that most wild dogs that eat humans, they'll eat every part of them except their feet and their hands for whatever reason. Did not the prophecy say that she'd be eaten by dogs? And guess what? She was eaten by dogs. Now, again, God warns us because he loves us and gives us an opportunity to repent. And he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And it says, therefore, they came back and told him. And he said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, on the plot of ground at Jezreel, dogs shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel shall be as refuse on the surface of the field in the plot at Jezreel, so that they shall not say, here lies Jezebel. So Jezebel went from being a woman who everybody feared, who had all this power and position and authority, and she ends up being eaten by dogs, and there's nowhere that she's even been buried. See, again, pride truly has gone before destruction, and haughty spirit has gone before a fall. And she was surrounded by people like Elisha and Elijah and others who had shared the truth with her, and she continued to reject it. Guys, we don't rejoice in the death of the wicked. Amen? We don't rejoice in that should break our hearts, but we also need to warn them that if they don't repent, as bad as getting thrown out a window is, hell's far worse. Amen? And the way the transgressor's heart. So in closing, responding to the supernatural call of God, give ministry away. Can I encourage you? We need to do that. Respond to the calling God has placed upon your life. Learn to trust God when what he's called you to do seems overwhelming. Be prepared that as you step out in faith, you will face opposition. Be willing to step out even if you have, gone, you have to go it alone. Hold nothing back. Choose today whom you will serve. God suffers long, you won't suffer always. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace, your infinite mercy. I pray for anybody here today, tonight, Lord, or watching online or hearing this on the radio later. If they're concerned, if they're sitting back and waiting... But Lord, you've been stirring them up. Give them the strength to step out in faith, to trust you, to get out of their comfort zone and be used for your kingdom and your glory. May you comfort them, encourage them. May they know that they're not stepping out alone if you step out with them. And Lord, I pray that you would do a radical work in each of our lives. You start, you'd bring revival to the Canal Valley and start in our hearts first. So Lord, be glorified. Stir us up, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen.